What if you had a really clear plan on what your optimal thyroid labs should look like to feel like your best self? And then based on those labs, you know exactly what medication to take if you needed it to feel energized, to lose weight, to not feel those symptoms of Hashimoto's. That is what we're going to talk about today. My name is Dr. Emily Kybird. I'm a chiropractor and movement expert, and I help women with Hashimoto's learn how to work out without the burnout. And I bring friends on to Thyroid Strong Podcast to talk about all the other functional medicine pieces related to Hashimoto's. Today, I have on my friend, McCall McPherson. She is the founder of Modern Thyroid Clinic. She is a thyroid-centered functional medicine practice in Austin, Texas. And then she is the owner and chief hope giver of Thyroid Nation. She's a physician's assistant, a TEDx speaker, and a thyroid expert by the way of being a thyroid patient herself. Isn't that how us practitioners usually get into it? Her passion for perfecting thyroid treatment stemmed from years of suffering due to mismanagement of her own hypothyroidism. She now lives, breathes, and thrives in understanding the nuances, the nuances which are so important for proper thyroid care. Her philosophy is simple. There is no reason to still have thyroid symptoms. She spends her time with patients to help them get their lives back and teaching and advocating for the other millions of women who aren't her patients and are suffering. McCall McPherson of Modern Thyroid Clinic. Welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. I am so excited to have you here. I know. I'm so happy to be here. For anyone who's listening, go follow McCall on TikTok. Her videos, like if you want the answer without having to read a 2000 word blog post, just go to her TikTok. It's amazing. So I wanted to break down labs and I get DMs every single day of women who are like, I'm struggling with weight gain, hair loss, fatigue, brain fog, but maybe they haven't been diagnosed with Hashimoto's yet. Maybe their doctors kind of dismissed them like, eh, you're fine. What would be the ideal lab panel for someone to start getting information to get the Hashimoto's diagnosis? First of all, these people that you're talking about, these people who like have all the thyroid symptoms of fatigue and brain fog and dry skin and hair loss and weight gain, and they go to their doctor and their doctor's like, listen, your thyroid's normal. It's not your thyroid at all. Those like, those are my people. Those are like, come to me. The dismissed. To this podcast. Come to TikTok. Like, I, you are my people. So yeah, I want to speak to those people particularly because sadly it is like millions and millions of women in our country alone that are beginning to believe that all of this is in their head when actually it's not in your head. It's completely explainable. It's biochemical. And yeah, so I, I love that like we want to break down that barrier. So the first thing that I say say and see over and over is people keep getting told that they don't have a thyroid problem because their thyroid labs are normal and they're getting their TSH, TSH checked, which obviously you're familiar with the scenario. So in no way, shape, or form is TSH enough to gauge someone's thyroid status, and it is especially inadequate once someone is on medication, especially things like Synthroid and Levothyroxine and Tyrosine. That medication specifically completely makes TSH irrelevant almost in terms of managing medication. I describe it as like trying to get your thyroid managed or screened properly you know, by using a TSH is like throwing darts at a dartboard blindfolded. It's just, it's impossible. You have to win the lottery, basically. So you definitely need that. Like that's a component. You need your TSH, but you also need free T4, free T3, 
reverse T3. And that's like a thyroid function test. I encourage people, obviously, to get Hashimoto's antibodies, which are TPO or thyroid peroxidase antibodies and um, thyroglobulin antibodies as well. What would someone say? Would they say to their doctor, hey, can I get a full thyroid panel? Would that get them what they need? Or would they have to say, hey, can I have a full thyroid panel with two antibody tests? Yeah. So I would say, you know, I really want to do an in-depth thyroid panel. And you could say a full thyroid panel. The chances, again, that you're going to get that adequately are low. So I, I, I want you guys to like literally bring in a post-it, like write it out, post it and be like, hey, could I please get these labs checked specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, way back in the day, I had a patient that I suspected had thyroid dysfunction and I was like, just ask for a full thyroid panel. And what was ordered was TSH, T4 and TPO. And I was like, oh, I wish I had been more specific. Yeah. And it Um, can be that. It can be total T3. Like, I mean, it's just there is no standardization beyond TSH. And so there's a lot of gray area. So getting specific and advocating for yourself is what you want to do. Yeah. Can you describe the difference between the two antibody tests? Yeah. So, you know, there is some overlap in thyroglobulin between Pashi and Graves. Really, I see it. So basically, there are two Hashimoto's antibodies, right? We know that Hashimoto's is the autoimmune component of thyroid issues that create long-term hypothyroidism. It basically means your body's attacking itself. It's attacking your thyroid gland. It replaces that hormone secreting tissue sort of with scarry inflammatory tissue that doesn't work as well. And that's what leads to hypothyroidism. So definitely we want to tease those two entities out in our minds between hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. Um, the two main antibodies present in Hashimoto's are TPO or thyroglobulin. If you have either of those, by definition, you have Hashimoto's. There is overlap with Graves. However, I see overlap with Graves with both antibodies. And Graves has a different specific antibody test for it. So I want you guys to keep it most simple. Like think about these two antibodies as Hashi. If you have only thyroglobulin, you have Hashimoto's. If you only have um, TPO, you still have Hashimoto's. Yeah. I noticed some practitioners more on the conventional side will only order if asked um, TPO versus doing both. What, What would be the thought behind that? Definitely, I see more commonly TPO antibodies positive for Hashi than I do thyroglobulin alone. And the sad thing about medicine, it kind of goes with traditional labs as well for thyroid in terms of function, is medicine is trying to save money. So we are geared not towards saving you money, saving our insurance system money. And so less is best as far as we're trained. And so sadly, a lot of these really important things that fly under the radar are valuable, but we miss out on them because your doctor can try to save a buck or that's what they're taught to only check this in order for the medical model to save money. Yeah. So a lot of women, maybe they do get their labs and the doctor says, oh, you're normal. Right. And then they DM me and they're like, I'm normal. And I was like, well, are you the conventional normal? Or are we looking into optimal range normal? And I share this because when I was first diagnosed with Hashimoto's, my TSH was 3.2. So that is outside of optimal range, but it's within conventional normal. And I felt like death. I was like, how can I go on on this earth like this? So can you share the difference between kind of conventional lab ranges versus 
when you want to feel optimized, what optimal ranges would be. Yes. And I cannot like this is so important. Um, You can be literally within conventional range of thyroid labs and on the be on the verge of disability. Like, I mean, from, you know, your thyroid symptoms, they can be so profoundly severe and you are, quote, within normal. So I'm going to go a little deep in this. So basically, one, there is no standardized set of ranges for thyroid disorders in general. There is some subset of range with your TSH, but that varies per lab, even between lab location. And then all the other ranges are up for debate of T3, T4, whatnot. Generally, ranges on your lab result are set by the lab that you go to. So that lab, let's say it's Quest down the road from my house, sets their normal ranges by taking an average of the people in their system. They weed out like extremes on either end, but then they create, they formulate a bunch of averages. There's so many issues with that. One is they're not ruling out people with thyroid disorders before they're putting them into this average to establish what's normal and okay. And then two, the people who are going to Quest or wherever you go, those are sick people. They're not going because they're like, I feel so great. I wonder what my thyroid loss looks like, you know? So this is based on flawed data. It also changes between lab and lab location and hospital. And the problem with that is when medical providers, your doctor, your PA, whoever it is, when they look at your lab work, really what they're looking for is something to be in bold or off to the side. Um, And that, again, is determined by what the lab says is normal. And so it varies per patient depending on what lab they go to. And it's a glance, you know, it's medicine in a second. And so a lot of inherent issues with that. Um, I've arrived at my optimal ranges based on, you know, a decade ago, kind of going by the standard functional medicine range, which narrows a little bit off the top and the bottom, makes it more narrow. Now, every 18 months since then, I've gathered data on my own patients because 100% of my patients at Modern Thyroid Clinic are thyroid patients. And slowly over the years, I've narrowed them down until now I'm left with ranges that are this darn wide. I mean, they are so small, but I find if I can get my patients into it, into those ranges, they feel good. They're vibrant. They don't have thyroid symptoms anymore. So, you know, I give the analogy of regular lab ranges are as wide as the rooms that we're sitting in and optimal ranges are, you know, this darn wide. And so what's being told to all these people, these, I say women, because a lot of them are women that are being written off, is your labs are normal when in fact they're wildly not okay and certainly able to create massive symptomology and long-term health outcome downsides. Yeah. Let's just break down one. Okay. So for example, TSH, because that's the one that gets tested the most, conventional range is what? Like high end is like 4.5. So it's Five, five. Okay. To increase it to ten, okay. Because studies are showing people less than ten aren't getting well on thyroid treatment or levothyroxine. So instead of looking at the medications they're using, is maybe be the reasons why these people aren't getting symptomatic improvement. They're like, hey, you know what? We need to increase the TSH range. We need to only treat people who are so severe. We know they'll get better with levo. So it's five now. It's many clinicians are already beginning to use ten, which is terrifying. Yeah. And then what would be optimal range? I know like Institute for Functional Medicine, uh, the high end is 2.5. Yeah. But what would be, is it, would you use that as the optimal or you're going to go more narrow? Much more narrow. Yeah. So definitely well below two, ideally closer to one. It can be less than one at times. Anyone that shows up to my office over 1.8 generally is pretty debilitated. Doesn't matter what their output numbers are. Their TSH is 
reflecting them using too much energy to produce output hormones, driving symptoms, anything over 1.8. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. 1.8 yeah. and 5 are very different. <laughs> That's so different. Life-changingly different. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts on getting a thyroid ultrasound? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of my practice has moved from in-person to virtual. Post-COVID, I was already doing like 50-50 pre-COVID. So along with that has sort of evolved my prerequisites for ultrasounds. I used to get them if I ever felt anything abnormal on palpation. But now that I'm doing more and more virtual medicine, and I think a lot of people are getting that, I, I it's my opinion that everyone needs a thyroid ultrasound screening at some point to establish a baseline because every decade as we age, the incidence of nodules increases a pretty reasonable percentage. The ultrasound picks up nodules. What would that mean? Yeah. So a, a decent portion of the population has thyroid nodules. Those are, you can think about them as almost little like bumps on our thyroid. A lot of them are benign. Benign just means they're not cancerous. They're not concerning. They're just sort of present. They can be present from inflammation, just, you know, random in incidents. Um, but there is a percentage of those nodules that are cancerous or develop into cancer and start to grow and take over over time. And thyroid cancer is one of those cancers that in most cases is very easy to intervene on. So we have like a lot of time before it grows wildly out of control and becomes a really a, a more systemic issue. So I think doing an ultrasound to establish that baseline to see if we need to track any nodules that could potentially be concerning for cancer is a big deal. It doesn't take much. And again, medicine is in the business of saving money. And so generally speaking, women aren't, people aren't getting screening thyroid ultrasounds, but I'm actually an advocate for it. Yeah, I love that. It's kind of like getting a mammogram, probably much less invasive, but just to like create that baseline. Yes. So that to see changes over time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you just check in. I mean, some people can do that every five or 10 years. You know, it's not like we're charging our health system $3,000 a year. No, you know, yeah. it's minimal. Yeah. So a lot of women will get a blood draw and maybe they'll put on medication and then they're kind of frustrated, like, okay, what else can I do? I'm curious, you know, my journey was like a GI map test, ruling out mold, checking for parasites, kind of going on this deeper dive of are there root causes, kind of adding that inflammatory load. But I think women seeing a more conventional or doing a more conventional route, like those don't even get mentioned. So they don't even know about it. When do you as a practitioner kind of stick to like, okay, let's just work with the blood draw and what is brought up there versus going into potentially a deeper dive? Yes. So, you know, I say definitely when pe people come to see me, I am not their first stop. I'm usually like the last desperate stop of these people who cannot function in their family, their world. And so I start out, my whole methodology is I want to improve your energy and your capacity so that you can take that and improve your energy and your capacity more. So we always start with just like the bare basics, like medication. I'm like, I'm just going to create energy in this person's life. Then they can take that and improve their diet, improve their lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. And those are people that have plain old hypothyroidism, right? But people with Hashimoto's, 100% of those people deserve a further workup for root causes. Um, and this is missed in the traditional medical approach because we're trained as clinicians 
you treat someone's hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's is this random sort of reverse lottery scenario. There's nothing you can do about it. So like, even if you check it once, you don't even ever need to check it again. Save those dollars, right? Um, only worry about their thyroid function because there's nothing you can do about that Hashimoto's anyway. And functional medicine, obviously, we know very well and intimately that we can reduce these people's antibodies. We can often get them even into remission. And that not only preserves so much of their thyroid gland, it reduces health risks all over the map for other autoimmune diseases. So 100% of our Hashi people, we do kind of a deeper dive for sure in what could be driving this. And then people that have persistent symptoms with hypothyroidism or other inflammatory things seemingly going on, of course, those people get a workup too. I love that you bring up energy because I try to share this with the Hashi ladies as well, which is a lot of them are focused on weight loss, mainly weight loss. And yeah. I'm like, listen, if you get your energy back, you can do anything with that energy. You could lose weight. You could go to the gym. You could go on those walks you want to do. You could go hiking. So like, let's focus on getting your energy back and then you can take that energy and transfer it to whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> Amen. Don't yeah. put heart before the horse. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk medication because I haven't talked about medication on this podcast yet. Oh, Can you kind of break down the different medications in a really simple way? Like there are medications that are only T4, there are medications that are only T3, and then there's combinations of T4 and T3. So could you break them down? I know some medications have fillers mm -hmm. and then what you typically do, maybe you have a go-to. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to establish the concept of there are T4 and T3-based medications. T4 are what I describe as inactive or inert. I give an analogy of crude oil. So we don't put crude oil in our car to make it go. We need that crude oil to make gasoline to put in our car and go. But we've got to take it and make it into gasoline first, right? So T4 is your crude oil. Your gasoline is T3. So that is active thyroid hormone. It is ready to go. As soon as you take it, it's in your body. It's not becoming crude oil, anything like that. So when we establish that, basically the, the bulk of people in our country and really in the world are put on T4 only medications. Okay, this is all inactive thyroid hormone. And in my opinion, is one of the biggest driving factors of people persistently having thyroid symptoms. So T4-based medications are things like levothyroxine, T-Resin, Synthroid, Unithroid, Levoxyl, Euthyroxin in other countries, those sorts of medications. Okay, so they are all what I call conversion dependent. They're dependent on your ability for me to give you crude oil and you to make gasoline from it. Levothyroxine alone is the number one prescribed medication in our country, not even like of thyroid medications. It is literally the number one prescribed medication. And so all of these people are being given massive amounts of crude oil, and we're just left here wondering, can they make gasoline from it? Can they make it usable in their body? On the flip side is active thyroid hormone, or T3. So these are medications like Cytomel and Liothyronine. So this is pure T3, pure active hormone. You take it. It does not need to be activated. It's direct energy currency into your body. And then there are combination medications. And this can be a compound of T4 and T3 or inactive and active. Or it can be medications that are in the form of what's referred to as natural desiccated thyroid, NDT. These are meds like NP thyroid and armor thyroid. 
Okay. So these are blends of mostly inactive with some active hormone, but it's all in one little thing. It actually comes from desiccated pig thyroid gland that they've been around or armor's been around since the 1920s, long before levothyroxine came about. So that's kind of the big scene. If you find yourself still having thyroid symptoms and your doctor is checking your TSH and your T4 and you're on levothyroxine, it probably is because it doesn't matter how much T4 you get, how much crude oil you get, doesn't change the level of gasoline in your car. You're not efficiently converting it. So that's a big, big thing to look into. And TSH and T4 will not tell you how much gasoline is in your body. You need free T3 and then you also need reverse T3. So that goes back to our lab conversation. Um, now, there are things that have fillers, not fillers, vegan, not vegan. And a lot of that from the synthetic standpoint, so T4 and T3, these are synthetic man-made medications. Um, those are hard to regulate outside of brand. So if you need like a vegan, a dairy-free, you've got to kind of lean towards brand names. Now, fillers in desiccated thyroid, like Armour or NP, NP really touts that it has less filler in it. And so a lot of people gear towards prescribing that and wanting to take it. In my opinion, this is sheerly marketing. Um, Armor, sure, it has more fillers. It does not have gluten. So there's a lot of rumors that go around about that. It does not have gluten. And honestly, in my opinion, it works 10 to 20 times better than NP. Literally any patient that ever comes to me on NP, if I do nothing but switch them to Armor, they feel better. And then if my patients ask to be moved to NP because it's cheaper, I do that. Every 100% of them are back within a month saying, I changed my mind. I'll pay, pay for the armor. So that's kind of my preferred between the desiccated thyroid. Um, and then the last thing I'll leave you with when it comes to medications is 100% of patients at Modern Thyroid Clinic, literally 100% of all of our patients, none of them are on a T4-based only medication. So not a single patient is on levothyroxine or synthroid alone. 100% of our patients have some form of active thyroid hormone on board. And that, in my opinion, is hugely life-changing. Is there any downside to long-term T3 use? So let's talk about that. So this is like a very heated topic in medicine. Yeah. We are trained, I'll, I'll kind of summarize, and I'm not even exaggerating this, our medical training when it comes to thyroid medications. It is never use medications with T3 in them gasoline or active hormone, only use medications with T4 like levosynthroid. If you put your patients on T3, you will give them a heart attack or a stroke. So that is the dogma that's being fed from medical generation to medical generation to medical generation. So naturally, one, we are terrified to use these medications because we actually think we're going to kill people. And two, we are ill-equipped with training on how to use them. So we have no idea how to safely use them because we're not trained to because we're only trained to use levothyroxine-based medication. So naturally, there's a lot of fear, and you will run into doctors that are like, why in God's name are you on Cytomel? So that can happen. I mean, definitely side effects can come with over-medication of T3. If I give someone too much levothyroxine, they can only take so much crude oil and make gasoline from it, right, at a time. There's a rate-limiting conversion step here. So it's difficult to make people truly hyperthyroid. If I give you too much T3, too much T3 is the definition of hyperthyroid. And in severe cases, hyperthyroidism can lead to atrial fibrillation and arrhythmia that can create an increased risk for heart attack and stroke. So that can happen. Now that 
the amount of T3 you would need to give someone is probably 10 times the amount that we deal with at Modern Thyroid Clinic. So it takes kind of gross medical negligence or having absolutely no idea what you're doing. I give people, you know, the insight of, look, my range for your T3 is about 3.6 to 4.2 throughout the day. For you, I would need to have your T3 above 20, close to 30 to start creating risk for atrial fibrillation. There's no way I'm going from 3.6 to 4.2 to 20. Like mistakes like that, they don't happen. So while there can be risk, especially in elderly people, that threshold lowers, you know, um, but it's still incredibly high, like well above 10. So it still involves massive amounts of over-medication. So if people know what they're doing, if they're doing labs properly, the risk, in my opinion, of serious ramifications of T3 is little to none. And there's lots of benefits from it from a long-term health outcome perspective. For people who come to you who are saying, you know, I've been on medication for years, I still don't feel better. What What is kind of like the typical story? Is it like they're on only T4 and they're not converting it to the active form? I would say of people who are medicated and they come to see me, that probably accounts for 75 to 80 plus percent. Yes. So there are a lot of people walking around on T4 that feel terrible. And those are the same people that are told it's not your thyroid. It's not your thyroid. Eat less, exercise more. This is all your fault. And those are also the same people that come to see me and literally get their lives back in like weeks, months, you know? Yeah. How long does it take in terms of potentially feeling better or knowing that dosage works? Yeah. So we kind of take things into microscopic dose increases over several weeks, and then we allow our patients to stabilize. So we actually take people pretty far into treatment each time we do labs and interact with them. Um, because the medications that we're layering in have some form of T3 in them, T3 is always short acting. It gets in and it gets out of your system within hours. Um, most people feel a difference in their first round of treatment. So from the first time that they meet with us, about 85 plus percent of people feel better. Um, yeah, some people, because T3 is short acting, some people feel it like day one, you know, and then other people will feel it as the weeks go on and we layer in more layers of medication, they feel better and better and better. It should not be yours. Oh, yeah. How often do you test to... Like when someone first starts with you to kind of check, okay, is this the right dosage? Is it like once every four weeks, once every six weeks, or maybe it's longer than that? Great question. So um, we do, again, like multiple rounds of medication changes that usually take about two to four weeks. From that last medication dose change, it takes two months to completely stabilize. So it takes eight full weeks to get stable on medication. The way that we're able to increase people so many times in microscopic doses is because we, we're we not just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. If we start with good data, good labs that are stable, we can predict where people's labs are going to land based on our medication changes. So we have to start with stable data. So in order to get that stable data, people have to be on the same darn med for two full months. Even the difference between labs at six weeks and eight weeks post-medication change, there's a huge shift. And a lot of medicine is checking people's labs six weeks after their last medication change, and they're not done yet. They still have a lot of changes that are going to happen in their biochemistry over two weeks. Yeah. So I had a patient, obviously I was treating her from like a biomechanical joint pain perspective, and she was on a combination of T3, T4. And her doctor took her off, like basically put her on more T4, less T3. 
And nothing else changed. Like she eats really well, hits her protein, hits her fiber, resistance trains four days a week with a trainer. Nothing else changed. And she gained 40 pounds in two months. And the doctor told her, let's do this for eight weeks. And she went back to her doctor being like, please, like basically begging to right. put it back on some increasing the dose of T3. Devastating. Yeah, devastating. It is like I cannot overstate this exact experience. It is the nuances of thyroid treatment that make all the difference in the world. Like that's why like you cannot just arrive at someone's perfect thyroid dose checking their TSH every six months. They basically have to win the lottery. They should go to Vegas if that happens. Like, I mean, they're the luckiest person alive. I mean, it's all these micro nuances that really make or break people. Yeah, 100%. Have you ever come across anyone in your practice who's been over-medicated? I recently had someone inside Thyroid Strong talk about she was having persistent anxiety, a little bit of heart palpitations, and she forgot to refill her meds for 10 days. So she was off her meds. It was from like seven to 10 days and all her anxiety symptoms decreased. And she was like, oh my God, maybe I'm over-medicated. Have you experienced that in your practice? Not from you, but from patients coming in? For sure. So this is actually, in my opinion, the one way that over-medication of T3 can happen. And this is actually a pervasive issue even in the functional medicine world. So if you're a functional medicine clinician and you treat thyroid, please listen, because this is so important. It has been propagated, mainly started by this amazing woman that created Stop the Thyroid Madness. It's a giant, large advocacy platform for thyroid patients everywhere. But it's been propagated to check people's labs off of their thyroid medication, specifically T3. The problem with that is, let's say, Cytomel. If you take that on a Monday morning, and you take it even twice a day, that medicine peaks and it troughs in about three to six hours. If you go get your labs on Tuesday morning, 12, 18, 24 hours after you take it, your T3 looks low because your medication is not in your system. People do that for years. They do it for decades. So every time they've gotten their labs, they go off of their medication to determine what to do with their medication. So every single time their T3 is increased because it perpetually looks subpar, those people end up on a ton of Cytomel or Arbor or whatever it is. I've had a 72-year-old woman come to my practice with a T3 of 13. So at 72, you're at an increased risk for AFib, not on thyroid medication. You put them on T3, you have to be very careful. You don't want them walking around with the T3 of 13. She's like a walking stroke risk. And so, but forever, she had had a functional medicine person Check her labs off her T3, increase it, increase it, increase it. And I've had another patient just before she saw me, she had a stroke, mm. same situation. So um, absolutely, I get those people a lot, just completely dysfunctionally dosed based on poor lab gathering. That's insane. I mean, this woman must be like walking around like all. I know. Up, well, like as if she was on Adderall. Yes, right. <laughs> like that is uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Um. Let's talk about low-dose naltrexone. Some women take it and they're like, it's life-changing. And so for people who haven't heard of it, can you explain what it is? Yes. So low-dose naltrexone is a microscopic dose of a medication that's used in regular medicine called naltrexone. Naltrexone is really at its basic level. It's a pain medicine blocker. It's an opioid antagonist, okay? So people will give it if people get exposed to too much pain meds. 
something very different happens when you make it into a microscopic dose. And I'm like, you start at almost a 50th of the dose. So we are dealing with like nuances. It blocks the smallest amount of opioids that we naturally produce in our brain. And that tells our body, it communicates to our body that we need more. So it actually ends up upregulating our opioid production. And it leaves us in the state of excess opioids as opposed to depletion. And that does something really unique. It actually lowers inflammation or autoimmune disease of any kind. It also strengthens our immune system. So it has all of these specifically, especially for Hashimoto's, people who are walking around with a lot of inflammation. It's got all these benefits for them. In the thyroid world, I'll tell you a couple kind of things. If you have very severe Hashimoto's, those are the people I generally put on LDN. If you constantly battle inflammation, or 100% of my Graves disease patients are actually on LDN, like literally every darn last one of them. It also can help prune off weak cancer cells. It slows the breakdown of your body over time due to aging. Like, I mean, it just has so many, I'm sure you know, health benefits, not all of which are felt by the patient is the one thing that I tell my people is like, look, there are the percentage of people that are like, oh my God, this is life-changing. I feel so much better. Huge portion of people that don't feel anything, but their antibodies drop. Oh, that's so interesting. For people who are not responders, is it maybe like the dose isn't right or something else? There is like a standardized dose for LDN, but I have definitely found over the last probably six or eight years or so of using it that there are people that need more and there are people that need less. And so I actually do find dose variants in it. And so I am always open to playing with the dose. And then also, I think you need to find an objective marker way to check these people, like their antibodies, their CRP, which is another inflammatory marker, ANA, other ways of seeing, okay, well, now that we know you don't feel anything, is there possibly something under the surface that's getting better being on it? I think there's this assumption that higher antibodies means you're in a worse situation. Should women be really focusing on antibodies and lowering their antibodies? So I definitely do see a correlation with severity and increases in antibodies. So definitely we work at Modern Thyroid Clinics to try to reduce those antibodies. There are people who honestly are just resistant to it, like whether it's a chronic infection, whether it's a dental issue that we can't resolve. Or it's a genetic thing that we're constantly up against, you know, inflammation genetically. Um, I definitely think the lower we can get someone's antibodies, it shows a risk reduction in developing other more serious autoimmune conditions, even if you're not in remission. So don't focus on getting them to zero. Just focus on, hey, let's try to trim them down little by little. And it's an over the course of time thing. It is not an overnight thing. Are there any other meds that, and I I know medication is individualized by the patient, but are there any other meds that are your go-tos that you use on a frequent basis in modern thyroid clinic? I mean, we do a lot with metformin and optimizing Mm. blood sugar. We do treat people for weight gain with GLP-1 agonists to try and reset that damage that's been done with hypothyroidism because that's so pesky. Um, and then we treat graves and hormones. So we do hormones in terms of medication. Hormones and thyroid are niches so narrow. Um, I love it. We're just hyper focused on those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, do you do you play with any sort of peptides? Peptides have kind of been like thrown yeah. around and feel like a newer thing. You know, it's something that I've wanted to get into for a long time. The only peptide we deal with directly is like semaglutide. 
um, like Ozempic, but there's a place that I office out of called Alive and Well that's an absolutely incredible like epicenter for healing that does peptides. So I refer people to them to get the specific peptides, BPC-157, epimorlin, epitalon, that kind of thing. A lot of women, their focus is weight loss. If you were to give like three things to start with, to start losing weight with Hashimoto's, what would be those three things? Yeah. I would say do not overexercise. You know that. You know, you Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism are not people that need to be doing hit and berries six days a week. You just, we're not okay. We're not built for that. Um, you know, definitely I would say really work on your blood sugar metabolism and starting to unravel that loss of insulin sensitivity. And there's a lot of ways to do that, whether it's intermittent fasting, whether it's trying to eat your protein first so that you keep your blood sugar down longer, those sorts of things. And then the other thing that I love is in terms of exercise, and you're the expert here, but I love like slow weight training. We don't have to like intensively circuit train for two hours and then list like a, a sustained low intensity exercise is really, really great because thyroid people have adrenal issues. Those two things go hand in hand, you know? Yeah. Where do you deal with adrenals? Because it's probably accounts for less than 1% of my patients that need their adrenals treated before their thyroid. So I almost always start with thyroid and literally almost 100% of my patients need adrenal work um, that I layer in at their second appointment usually. But I always start with thyroid. I'm always about, I want to give the biggest bang for the, the buck for these energy, for energy for these people with the least amount of effort on their end. What would addressing adrenal stuff look like? Yeah. So obviously there's the lifestyle components. Uh, we have to touch on exercise, like not over-exercising. We have to touch on food. We have to touch on salt, meditation. And then I use supplements heavily, heavily in my practice um, and tell people, look, expect to be on these for like nine to 18 months. Um, they make people feel better while they're on them. I use glandulars um, that work just absolutely beautifully for people. Yeah. I love it. Such a holistic approach. I wish every single woman on the planet that had fatigue and had the symptoms of Hashimoto's could just get the get the information and get the access that they need. McCall, McCall, you have a course coming out, Thyroid Empowered. Can you share some details? I'm super excited for this. Yes, I know. So a lot of it is really what the same thing you're advocating for. Let's get information to these people so that they can be empowered to drive their own thyroid care, to get access to better thyroid care, to get answers for their thyroid problems. So it takes them through a lot of all the nitty gritty of how your thyroid works, how your medication works, what labs you need, how to properly get those labs. And then it kind of, and then lifestyle as well for thyroid, for hormones, for adrenals. But then it culminates with, we review their labs together and really set them send them away with a plan and an understanding about A, what's going on with their thyroid specifically and B, what can they do about it? So I'm really excited. It's something that I've wanted to bring to people who can't be my patient for a long time. So really happy. Amazing. So we'll drop that link in the show notes. And then where can people find you other than on TikTok? I know TikTok's like place. So you can totally <laughs> find me at TikTok on McCall McPherson, but also on Instagram at McCall McPherson PA. You can of course follow Modern Thyroid Clinic as well. And even Thyroid Nation, which is a really, it's a large thyroid advocacy platform that I lead that also kind of shares information and support for the thyroid community. Awesome. Thank you so much, lady. This was super informative. I hope everyone who listened also took a bunch of notes. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me.